Good morning. It's my privilege to read from God's word this morning. And our reading is from James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is in itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed, and they have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Well, uh, good morning, everyone. It's lovely to see you here in the auditorium and also uh, lovely to see you out there on live stream at home. And uh, the tongue. I'm very cautious of what I say with the tongue. It's dangerous, we've just heard in the Bible. It can destroy. It's like a wildfire, cause a wildfire. I wonder whether you consider what you said to others this morning to your husband or your wife, if you're there, or to the children, what the children said to their parents this morning, wherever they are at home. You know, when I studied at Morling College, uh, I went on a college mission uh, to a church on the far north coast of New South Wales. I think I was in maybe second or third year. There were five people on my team. It wasn't my team, I was a member of the team. There was a team leader and four of us. And because they wanted us for two weekends and we couldn't get away for that long, uh, the team leader and one of the other team members, uh, a lady, went the first weekend. So he got to speak at a breakfast, he got to preach Sunday morning, and she got to preach Sunday night. But two other guys and I, we travelled up together, arriving Sunday afternoon, sat through the night service, ready for a week of ministry after that. But as we arrived there that night and uh, we sat into the night service, uh, it was a youth service and the church had worked hard to bring a whole lot of people along. And can you imagine uh, 60 or 70, 80 teenagers all crammed into the hall and she was speaking on the, chose to speak on the book of Job. 
And uh, she was so excited by speaking of the book of Job, she kept speaking about the book of Job and kept speaking and kept speaking uh, really, really long and probably not appropriate to the level where the kids were at. And we thought, well, this hasn't started too well. The pastor wasn't impressed at all, and he was, I guess, disappointed. Uh, he'd done all his work, and he wasn't happy with the talk at the breakfast either, because it wasn't evangelistic, it was on spiritual warfare, and he, he thought he communicated, he should speak evangelistically, had all these non-Christians there. And so the next morning, he, the pastor gathers together, said, well, let's meet tomorrow, tell us what we should do. We, we're just about to start another seven days of mission. We've just arrived said, you only get one chance at something like this, and you guys have messed it up. You only get one chance at something like this, and you've messed it up. And he said, this is what you've got to do next. He left us, and the rest of the week, we never saw him. The woman who preached was wrecked by that experience. She needed the encouragement, maybe some correction, maybe some thoughts about how to do better next time. But there was none of that. The three of us had traveled up together. The other two had hardly ever preached before, so they didn't know what to do or, or say. So we kept, we kept each other going by praying and saying to each other, you only get one chance, boys. So I'm like, I'm one chance, boys. And they're trying to write their sermons and their talks. And we got to speak. Uh, thankfully, God gave us some opportunities. The next morning, I got to speak at the university Christian group on campus at Lismore. We had a great response from the students and conversations afterwards and there was something positive, and then we would build on that. And then we spoke at a youth camp that weekend. So not only was it a mission, we had all the young people and their leaders away, and we gave a talk each, and then we went back that night, our final night at church after the youth camp, and spoke evangelistically. Four people stood up to receive or receive Christ or recommit to Christ, and, and there was joy in the place. And the w Did that pastor say anything to me afterwards? Not one word of encouragement. Not one word to the team. Guys, you started badly, but you finished well. <laughs> or not one word. You only get one chance. And you messed it up. Sometimes those words can really uh, turn people away from God, from church, from ministry, whatever it happens to be. We want to be very careful, don't we? In James uh, 1, 26 to 27, James lists three Definitive marks of the person who's been born by the word of truth. Someone's been born again. And what he says in verse 26 is they control their tongue. If anyone considers himself religious, does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Secondly, concern for the needy. We, he dealt with that in chapter 2. Thirdly, unpolluted by the world. Chapter 4, 4 to 5, we'll come to that in the next couple of weeks. But he does begin in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, to talk about the importance of Christian teachers and the power of the tongue. Before he deals with the general principle of how we use our tongue, he refers to, to teachers. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And he warns us because those who teach, if they make a mistake, if I make a mistake on what I teach you, I hurt not only uh, myself, but I hurt all of you. If I teach you a false doctrine and you are then cast aside from Christ and you believe that false doctrine, it's a dangerous thing. So be careful, those who are teachers. You want to be a teacher? You want to be up front? 
Uh, you want to be the one who has the captive audience? Do you really want that job? He says, do I really want this job? Not many of you should become teachers, fellow, my fellow believers. The Bible says, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone stung, hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. We take the responsibility of teaching seriously. Now, this is one of the key reasons we don't put new Christians into teaching positions. You don't become a Christian three months later, become the pastor or the Bible study leader. Because we want them to understand the word better, to mature, to grow, and uh, have some runs on the board before we put them into a public speaking position. Sometimes uh, footballers become Christians or, or, or other meatheads or, you know, people out there. And, uh, and all of a sudden, of course, they're Christians now. We, we make them the famous speakers and they, we bring them to our breakfasts and our lunches and our dinners. And sadly, six months later, some of them are no longer Christians. What they've told you is not very helpful. We need to be very careful, don't we? James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. We want leaders who preach, but also who live it out. There's a tremendous power in the microphone of a pastor or preacher. And there are, obviously, in James's time, churches that have been influenced by false teachers. They taught and practiced favoritism. They were not committed to obey God's word. They argued that they had faith, they did not need works, as we saw last week. They're leading the church into error. And friends, even today, great damage can be done by the power of the false teacher's tongue. We see it in the spectacle of those who knew of the late John Shelby Spong. Really a heretic, not a Christian, a former Episcopal bishop of New Jersey. He denied the virgin birth, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. He argued, for example, the permissibility of sexual relations outside of marriage for both heterosexuals and homosexuals, claiming that sex outside of marriage can be holy and life-giving in some circumstances. I'm using my words carefully this morning. But he's leading people away from the truth of the gospel. We saw in what was called the signs and wonders movement in the 80s. There's this guy saying, well, God wants to heal everybody. People kept dying still of cancer and heart attacks. And No, no, no. If you just believe, God will heal you. John Wimber, one of those leaders of that movement, experienced cancer later on in his own life and developed a more balanced view. We see it in prosperity teaching of some Pentecostal churches, which teach that God wants to bless you materially and financially. Just have enough faith. Just trust. And at least some people to ruin we see it in uh, churches like ours and other churches where pastors and leaders become legalistic. Must do this, must do this, must do this. Otherwise, you're not truly a Christian. And they like to keep control of their flock. They don't like freedom. We see it in the abuse of the power over young children. Very sad, devastating abuse of children in churches. Where pastors and priests have used their words to seduce young ones and then to abuse them. James says, not many of you should want to be teachers because what you say will be held to account. And he says, and two, a controlled tongue is the key to holy living. 
And you think, well, the tongue, it's not really the tongue in your mind is, no, it's not what you say, it's where it comes from, right? Because, and I think we understand this, Jesus said in Matthew 12, to the Pharisees, the legalistic, ungodly Pharisees, you brood of vipers. Okay, so Jesus uses his words, well, it doesn't say you shouldn't be clear in what you have to communicate at times. It says, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks of what the heart is full of. This is important here. The mouth speaks of what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. So, a person says, this is really important, what he says is always related to what his heart is like. They reveal your inner character. Because the tongue is the mouthpiece of your heart. James says, we stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault, what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. We want to keep our whole body in check, don't we? We want to be self-controlled, holy men and women who live for God and who bring good and build others up rather than pulling them down. We aim to be mature or holy or complete. We need to control our speech by the power of God. And control of the tongue leads to a master control of ourselves and our lives, it seems to imply. Get control of what you say that will impact the rest of your life. This is when we put the bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, right? You put the bit in, you, you move it, and the animal goes your direction. Or take ships as an example, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. It says, big horse, small bit, you control it. Anyone been horse riding? I tried it once. That was enough. You know, they take your little trail rides. They just put you on it with very little experience. I remember sitting on my first horse. I was really sore. I couldn't sit down for days afterwards. But beyond that, you're in. They say, well, just pull the reins and, you know, the little bit that will tell the horse which way to go. I had no idea. Let me tell you, that horse took me wherever it wanted to go. Up the hill, gallop now. I said, well done. I didn't tell it to do anything. It just went. I was holding on for dear life. But if you know how to control it, you move it, the reins, you watch the Melbourne Cup, all of a sudden you can get it to do what you want. Small bit, big horse, controlled. And large ships as well, they have a rudder. The ship is massive, but you move the rudder and it moves the ship. The point is, a little thing impacts everything. And um, Alec Mortier in his commentary talks about the master switch, a switchboard in church. Let me read out what he says, which helps us to understand that what we say comes from inside us. So think of a switchboard in the church, rather large building, like this building, for example. Each switch controls the lights in its own section of the building, and the person who controls the switch controls or switches these lights on. But on the board is also a master switch. All these little switches, but a master switch. It doesn't need any special strength to operate it. Simple fact is that if you control the master switch, you control all the lights. Press the master switch, they all go off. Press it on, they all come on. You're in control, right? This master switch. It is in this sense that the person who controls the tongue is able to keep his whole body in check. 
This shouldn't surprise us, for the tongue is so much more than we actually say out loud. He continues, we can't think, and this is important, we can't think without formulating thoughts in words. Is that true? We cannot plan without describing to ourselves step by step what we intend to do. We cannot imagine without painting a word picture before our inward eyes. We cannot write a letter or a book without talking it through our minds onto the paper. We cannot resent without fueling the fires of resentment in words addressed to ourselves. We cannot feel sorry for ourselves without listening to the self-pitying voice which tells us how hard done by we are. But if our tongue is, with, is so well under control that it refuses to formulate the words of self-pity, the images of lustfulness, the thoughts of anger and resentment, then these things are cut down before they have a chance to live. The master switch has deprived them of any power to switch on that side of our lives. It's in this way that if anyone makes no mistakes in what he says, he is a perfect person. The control of the tongue is more evidence. It's more than evidence of spiritual maturity. It is the means to it. Someone hits me and I go and I fall in my mind what I'm going to say in response if I choose to pull the master switch and stop formulating what I'm going to say to them. But rather offer forgiveness. It takes the word or the tongue under control. But he says an uncontrolled tongue causes devastating damage. It's quite negative, this sermon, by the way, this passage. It's all about the negative. He doesn't say much about the value of it. He talks about the negative impacts. It can spark, uh, it's, it, it is a spark that causes a raging bushfire. Verse 5, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. So little, but dangerous. Think about the bushfires in Australia. One young person often decides they want to play with matches and a fire, throws it into the bushfire when no one's looking. Sometimes even someone who works as a, as a fiery does it, as we've discovered. And all of a sudden you have raging bushfires. One little match, devastation, forests and bush and homes and the deaths of people. I remember when I was teaching at Maryville High School, the, someone said something negative about one of the guy's girlfriends. Punch up at the school. People coming every year 10s, 11s, 12s. It carried on, not simply at the school, after school. They followed each other up to the main street of Maryville, Maryville Road. I remember being up there. There they are, having goes at each other, punching each other out, causing havoc, police running or driving in from every direction. Because one person said something about someone else. Is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself on fire, set on fire by hell. Its character, a world of evil among the parts of the body. No other part of your body, when you use it, can cause such devastation. Its influence, it corrupts the whole body. It stains all of us, our thoughts, our imaginings, our longings, our plans. Its continuance, it sets the whole course of his life on fire. All of your life is impacted by that. And he tells us it comes, it's guided by the forces of hell. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Who stands behind the misuse of our tongue? The devil, who wants to cause havoc, who wants to destroy marriages, wants to destroy churches, wants to destroy friendships. 
When you misuse your tongue, when you use it in an evil way, it destroys. Friends, I've seen it destroy marriages. I've seen it destroy relationships. I've seen it destroy churches. Sadly. And then it says the tongues are restful, restless, evil, full of deadly poison, verse 8. All kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and sea creatures have been tamed and have all been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless, evil, full of deadly poison. So I guess what we need to do this morning, if that is true, we stop for a moment and we say, okay, God, I'm going to self-evaluate this morning. Angie's been talking about what James has said. It's a dangerous weapon. It causes havoc all of life. So I'm going to ask you to self-evaluate this morning. Do you misuse your tongue? Do you destroy rather than build up? Is your natural inclination to speak works of discouragement and negativity rather than affirmation and encouragement? We all struggle with different things like that. And if you're not quite sure you're going to self-evaluate, I always say to people, ask your spouse what she thinks or he thinks or your best friend what they think. You might get a different perspective. I always get a different perspective when I ask that question. Because sometimes we don't see what we do. We don't, you know, are you a shouter? A lot of people, I grew up in a home where my dad had shouted and, and uh, was always angry. And when he got so angry, sometimes he'd throw bread baskets across the room. <laughs> he just wanted to throw something. Thankfully, it wasn't knives or guns, right? It was just a bread basket. I still remember that bread basket. I can see it now, 40 years later. He didn't know how else to control, so he shouted. He was angry. He was tired, really. <laughs> and, you, and you walk into some place and you see people shouting at a shopping center. Someone screams, they're enraged at, at, at someone, maybe their children or maybe a friend. Insults, put-downs. Insults and put-downs don't have to be uh, loud. You can just... Some of you are very clever in put-downs. Some of you are very, very good with words, aren't we? You don't have to shout, you can just, one or two, one expression, a few words, and you can destroy someone. You only want to get one chance at something like this, and you guys messed it up. Gossip, tell stories that are not true about someone else. Slander, their character, lying, deceiving, sarcasm. Where well, Some of us are very good at that. A lot of times it's just fun, but other times it goes too far. Judgment and condemnation of others. Arrogance. We speak with this tone of superiority that we are somewhat better than the other people. We're not quite like them. Obscene talk. I've heard obscene jokes told by, by Christian people. I'm thinking, what are you thinking? Or what type of language are you using? Is it holy? Is it godly? Is it honoring? Angry words, misplaced words, insensitive words. The picture here is it's like a, a huge hammer destroying relationships. Take control of the tongue. One of my friends I was at Bible college with, he said, you know, he said, I struggle with self-esteem. Even as a teenager, I had a guy say to me, mate, didn't even know. He said, mate, you're so ugly. Just look at him, smacking a face. How many people have heard comments like that? 
You're not valuable. You're not lovable. And the impact of that for, for years. Or husbands and wives, and someone says, I don't know why I married you. I won't add any more comments, just that one. How do you recover from that? Or parents and kids, uh, failure and disappointments. I heard one woman say the other day to a, to a five-year-old screaming at her, you idiots, you'll turn out just like your father. Fathers always get a bad rap here in those lines. And one person wrote, I was reading this week, uh, describing their own experiences, the expression, I love you. She said, these three words were never used in our home, and because of this I suffered. Until a few months ago, I was afraid that nobody would ever love me, or worse, that I might not ever be able to love anyone. But I've discovered that Jesus loves me so much that he died on a cross for me. I know that there is hope. I can now freely say that I love you and mean it from my heart. The power of words. I've seen it in church splits. And, the tongue, and then he sums up uh, this passage. He says, it's inconsistent and untrustworthy. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. Here we are in worship, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. James says, how can this be? My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? No. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? Or grapevine bear figs? No. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. In other words, seek God's help to live differently. Seek God's help to, to speak words of praise of God and encouragement and praise of men and women. But why do we do it? We talk about what we did. Why do we do it? As you think about how we use our tongue, sometimes because we have selfish ambition, we put others down to get forward. Sometimes because we're jealous of others, what they have, who they are. Unresolved bitterness, sometimes we haven't gone to the Lord and sought out a, a problem and we continue to be bitter. Lack of self-esteem, and when you lack self-esteem, sometimes you like to bring others down because you're not comfortable in your position in Christ. An inferiority complex. A lot of aggressive people are trying to cover up their inferiority by attacking others. I remember when I, school kids do that all the time. You lack esteem, you, you put down someone else so you can lift yourself up. A false spirituality, inability to relate to others, your attention-seeking, desire for recognition, you just have a spirit of judgmentalism, maybe some previous hurt in your life, and you refuse to forgive others, or your own failings and insecurity. He concludes, my, my, my brothers, this should not be. God's grace has brought us forgiveness. The Saviour died for us, when they cursed him on the cross, what did he do? He offered them forgiveness. He didn't attack them. Whereas God wants us to show grace, to show love, to speak words of forgiveness and mercy. And so we ask this question as we go out today. What would Jesus say and how would he say it? In a moment, we're going to share on the Lord's Supper. Remember what he did for us. But we also ask the question as we go out from this place, what would Jesus say and how would he say it? Ephesians 4. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. James 1, in chapter 1, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, 
and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Friends, my first ever college mission, that one was my third one I mentioned at the beginning, my first ever college mission, I went to Kalbara on the south coast. Anyone been there? Lovely spot, just uh, east of Nara. And the church met in a school hall, it didn't have a building, it was a very small church, part-time pastor, I got to say with a lovely family, with a couple of young daughters who were very excited, so each morning for breakfast and we talked about Jesus and... Um, and the pastor got us together, three of us on team, and my first, you know, my first mission. And he said, oh, this is what we got. We're going to try these things. We're going to be here to encourage you. And went to a school scripture class, and, then, and that was nice. And uh, they, they fed us. He was around to encourage us. On a Saturday night, uh, we, well, Friday night, we ran our family's night because they didn't have a youth group. And people brought their non-Christian friends. I got to share the gospel at that time, and a couple of people became Christians. And uh, the, fa- the church is like, oh, thank you so much for coming, you guys. Thank you so much for being with us this week. Pastor, oh, it's so good to see you guys. And we went away, encouraged, uplifted, only a small church and a small gathering, but loved by the people and encouraged to keep going in ministry, building up, not destroying. 